Well, good evening, good morning, good evening. I haven't been here that long already. Good morning. It's lovely to see you with us uh, this morning. It's lovely to be back with you. Thanks to Adrian uh, for leading and also Brian for the words of welcome. Um, I don't know whether you were trying to make it hard for the men there, by taking the words away, but I still think the men sang better. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, we're turning in our Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to break into the chapter, the verse 18, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. Isaiah chapter 40 and the verse 18, and reading down to the verse 31 uh, together this morning. Isaiah 40 and the verse 18. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown, yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Amen. And we'll finish there at the end of the chapter. And we do know God will bless this reading of his word to our hearts this morning. I want to speak to you this morning on the the theme of the one that we lean upon. Uh, And I know whenever we read this passage, everyone makes the assumption that we're going to focus in on verse 31. And we will touch on verse 31. But Really, I suppose if I was to pick a verse out of this passage, that would be my text today. It would be verse 28, where there are these questions that are asked, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Whenever we turn to this chapter of Isaiah's prophecy, and I suppose just to set the background and the context of what Isaiah is saying here and how he has declared these wonderful things to the children of Israel, he has been ministering 
in the vicinity of the city of Jerusalem. He's a prophet to the inhabitants of the land of Judah. And in the first 39 chapters of, uh, of Isaiah, the prophecies that he has made, and, and bear in mind that the whole way through this, he's a prophet. He's making prophecies uh, among many other things. But in the first 39 chapters, the prophecies that Isaiah makes, uh, they take place during his lifetime. But from chapter 40 on, as you read through, the, the prophecies that he makes from that point on largely relate to events that will take place after his life has ended. So in chapter 39, verses 5 and 6, we read, for example, Behold the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So this is just one prophecy, for example, that Isaiah has made. The Babylonian captivity didn't occur until about 80 years after Isaiah's death. And yet we see there how he has outlined it so clearly. And of course, he's done that because God has revealed it to him. He is a prophet who is serving the Lord. In the first section that there is there dealing with the captivity, Isaiah seeks to bring some comfort to the people that with regard to this situation and in regard to the fact that even though this captivity is coming, and even though the circumstances in the land at that time caused the captivity to come, God still has an eternal plan for his people. While they have trouble ahead, while there are problems ahead for Israel, while there are difficulties coming, while it will seem to them as though the Lord is not there, while it may seem to them as though the Lord has forgotten them, has forsaken them, or whatever it might be, God still has greater things planned for them. So whenever you come into chapter 40, and you see then in chapter 40 how Isaiah spends a significant amount of time dealing with how God is in control. Even in the difficult circumstances, even whenever this captivity is going to come, God is in control of those circumstances. The event of captivity, the event of difficulty in the life uh, and in the, in the future of the children of Israel is not something that the Lord doesn't know anything about. It's not something that he's ambivalent to. It's not something he doesn't care about. It's part of his greater plan for his people. And we don't have time this morning to, to go into a great deal of detail about that and about the future for Israel. But we can look at the comfort that Isaiah strives to bring to them as he strives to encourage them and instruct them that while what God has planned, there may be difficulties, there may be challenges, it is indeed the truth of Scripture that God is still seeking to encourage and to comfort his people. Whenever you read through the book of Isaiah, one of the other things that you find time and time again, and John MacArthur outlines this so well when he says it speaks about empty ritualism, and the idolatry into which many of the people had fallen. This was the people of God. These were people who named the God of heaven as their God, and yet they had fallen into ritualism. They'd fallen into idolatry. They were following after the things of the other nations. And so God has to deal with them. And it's the same today. Sometimes God has to deal with us because of are falling into these things, whether it's ritualism, whether it's following after the things of this world and making them more important 
than our life for God, making them more important than him. In this chapter that we've read some of uh, this morning in verses 18 to 20, uh, Isaiah refers the people to their idolatry in the sense that they're following after false gods, that they're making gods out of gold and out of silver. And he does that in a comparative sense. Because he speaks to them about the idolatry. He speaks to them about what the goldsmith has done, about the preparation of graven images. But when you set that against the context of verse 18, what he's doing is he's referring and making a likeness between the the images, between the things, the gold, the silver, whatever it might be, the things that are more important for them than God. And then he says, to whom then will you liken God? There's none like him. What likeness will you compare Unto him, he's showing them that the idolatry of the people is the cause of the future captivity. In order that they'll understand the picture that the Lord, the everlasting God, would instruct them about his greatness, that they would turn to him from their idolatry. Isaiah is telling the people effectively that if they continue in their rebellion and they continue to rebel against the Lord, then the Lord will teach them. But he'll teach them in a hard way. He'll teach them through difficulty. He'll teach them through captivity in order that they may turn again to him. And for us uh, today, as we take this and we, and we try to understand it and set it into where we are today, we have to understand the same principles. We have to understand that we have a great God. A God who's worthy of our praise. A God to whom nothing and no one compares. A God who understands us, who knows all about us. A God who wants us to live for Him, who wants us to serve Him. But here's the thing, if we choose to rebel, if we choose not to follow the Lord, if we choose to put other things before the Lord, then the same God who loves us, and who will encourage us, and who will strengthen us, and who will instruct us, And who will be with us? That same God can chasten us in order that we would live for Him. And in order for us to understand that, Isaiah here, as he was teaching, as he was speaking, in order for them to understand that, he wanted them, first of all, he saw the need for them, first of all, to grasp the power and the majesty of God. You see, we can know about God. We can know about Him from experience. We can know about Him from His presence. We can know about Him from His Word. And we can be assured of the greatness of God. I don't know if any of you have ever seen, maybe many of you have seen, the video footage of uh, the glass bridge in China, which has a special effect that when you put your foot on it, it cracks underneath your feet. Now, I know it's just a special effect, but there is no way on this earth that I would ever walk on that because I just wouldn't be able to put my confidence in it. It just wouldn't happen at all. I wouldn't have confidence in that. But I'll tell you what I can have confidence in. I can have confidence in the God of heaven. I can have confidence to know that whatever circumstance of life that we go through, whatever challenges we might face, that I can throw all my weight upon him. I can lean upon him. And that's 
what we want to consider this morning from the verses that we've read, really from verse 28 down to verse 31 of Isaiah chapter 40. And there's two things here that should encourage us that we would live for him and that we would lean upon him. I want you to see, first of all, in verse 28, that the Lord knows all about our circumstances. He knows all about them. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Now we see Isaiah here and he's speaking in this form of questions. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? Uh, and he, he, he has done that earlier in the chapter as well. Uh, whenever he speaks in verse 21, have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? He uses these questions. They're rhetorical questions. They don't demand an answer because in the previous verses of the chapter, Isaiah has already given the answers. He's already telling them, this is who your God is. He's saying, lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things. This is who God is. From verse 1 down to verse 26, Isaiah exalts the Lord in in a variety of different ways. And whenever you read the whole chapter of Isaiah, whenever we get past this idea in our lives as we come to the Bible, when we get past the idea of proof texting, Whenever we get past this idea of lifting one verse out of its context and saying, that's my life verse and I love that, and then six months later we read a different verse and and we proof text with it and we take it, and there's nothing wrong with having verses that are important to us and encourage us and strengthen us and bless us in our lives. But put Scripture in context. And in this chapter here, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 is one of those chapters that is wonderful in the many descriptions and in the many prophecies that are given to us which exalt our God. And that's what we're all about. Our lives are to exalt Him. Our lives are to glorify Him. Our lives are to be for Him. It's not about us. In verse 3 of chapter 40, he speaks about the coming of John the Baptist as a forerunner of Messiah. There's a prophecy speaking about the coming of the Messiah. In verse 8, he speaks about the eternal Word of God. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. What a promise. Verse 9 to 11, he speaks about the future restoration of Israel to the land. What a promise for Israel. Speaks about the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. We take Scripture at its word, don't we? We believe it's literal. We believe that's what it says. Then when we come on down through the chapter, we come into this specific passage this morning, and we see Isaiah here as he's as he set the scene with these promises and with these declarations of the greatness of God. And we see here that he's encouraging the people to reflect upon the greatness of the power of the eternal Creator God, the one who's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's the one who's eternal. That's what he says. He's the one who is Lord. He's the one who's creator. He's the one who's omnipotent, the one who knows all things. You could turn to Psalm 139 and read those verses 13 through to verse 18 in that psalm. And there the psalmist reflects upon that that tremendous attribute of God in relation to how the Lord uh, has ordered his steps even before he was conceived. He says, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. Time and again throughout Scripture, there's reference to the greatness of God, 
to the omnipotence of God, to the power of God, to the majesty of God. In our text this morning, the reflection of that is seen in a wonderful little phrase where it says, He fainteth not, neither is weary. Who feels tired? Who feels weariness? Who feels at times as though the weight of this world just presses upon you? I was, I was smiling at myself whenever Johnny was doing the children's talk, and I was thinking about that weight pressing down. How often we feel weight pressing down upon us? How often the troubles and the difficulties and the challenges of life come upon us, and we feel the weight of them? And yet we have a God who faints not, neither is weary, doesn't feel the weight of things upon him, cannot be moved by them, cannot be weakened by them, cannot be wearied by the weight of all of the pressures that we might feel. That's who our God is. Psalm 121, there's the same idea, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. When we think about this, this great truth, this wonderful truth about our God, that the Lord doesn't faint, that the Lord doesn't sleep, that the Lord doesn't need to rest. That should comfort our hearts. Because we all feel those things. We all feel those pressures and those burdens, but the Lord, He can carry our burdens. He can take that weight. And it doesn't matter when we feel it. And it doesn't matter how heavy it might be for us. And it doesn't matter how often it comes upon us and how maybe one weight is lifted and another one might come and then another one might come upon that. The Lord fainteth not, neither is weary. Every burden can be cast to Him. Every weight can be thrown upon Him. Isaiah tells us here in this verse in conjunction with that, he says, He fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Isaiah is making a point here. You see, in verse 27, he's making this point very clearly. The people have found themselves in, in very difficult circumstances because of their sin, because of rebellion, because of idolatry. And they're saying things like this. They're saying, uh, my way is hid from the Lord. And my judgment is passed over from my God. This is what they're saying, because that's what Isaiah tells us. He says, why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. How often have we even thought those things? I'm not talking about saying it out loud. I'm talking about the times whenever uh, we're feeling pressure. And we're feeling burdened. And, and, and things are just pressing in upon us. And it, and it just seems like we can get no uh, break from it. That we can't get lifted from that burden. And in our minds and in our hearts, we say to ourselves, does God care? Does He even know? Is He even interested? Because we do say those things in our own hearts and in our minds at times. If we're honest... It's exactly what the people of Israel were saying. And Isaiah says, there is no searching of his understanding. Isaiah reminds them that there's nothing beyond the understanding of God. That he's always aware 
of our circumstances. And that he never faints. And that he never wearies. And he's aware of all our goings. And he's aware of all our situations. And that's our God. And, and again, we can, we can link this through to that great psalm in Psalm 139. In the first six verses of Psalm 139. You see, we have there the omniscience of God. That God knows all things. That the Lord has searched me and known me. I don't know what all your circumstances are. I've been away from Sainfield now for five and a half years. I'm looking down and there's faces here that I don't know at all. So I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know everything about the trials and the burdens that you're going through, the problems that you have right now. I don't know about your need. And maybe there's no one else here knows the full weight of it and the full depth of it. Friend, can I say to you today that the Lord knows? He knows everything about it. And that is infinitely greater than every other person here knowing that the Lord knows, that He understands. There is, I suppose, a concern, and, and I see it more and more, and I suppose I feel it more and more uh, as I've been in the pastorate now for a number of years. And, and there is this idea, I suppose, that, that, that plays at the edges of my mind about how the world has crept in and the solutions of the world are creeping in to the church. And the church is infected by the world's solutions to problems, if we're honest. Is it not sufficient for us to know that our God knows and we can cast all our weight upon him? Is it? To know that we have a Father in heaven who's interested in us at all times, that He cares about our problems, that He cares about our weakness, that He cares about our difficulties, whatever those might be. Our God knows. And you can be assured of that, not because I stand here today and tell you that, but because the Word of God tells us that. And that's what matters. This is the reality of Scripture. And you know, as well as knowing this from the Word of God, we can be assured of this as well, not just from Scripture, but from past experience. From those times in our lives where God has worked in our lives. From those times whenever we have been able to cast that burden to the Lord. And, and the psalmist says, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Isaiah, you see, as he poses these questions, as he asks the question in verse 28, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? What Isaiah is actually saying here to the people is that you know this. These are rhetorical questions. He's asking the questions because he knows they know. They know the answer. You know that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the, of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. Why do you know that? You know it because you've experienced it. The first 39 chapters, as we say, refer to prophecies that Isaiah made. Largely speaking, they had all been fulfilled. 
So the people who Isaiah ministered to had experience of seeing God's hand at work. As the prophet had declared that such a thing would take place, so it took place. So that circumstance came about. So they had seen that, they had witnessed that, they'd observed it. For example, in Isaiah chapter 7, we see that he was sent of the Lord with a message to Ahaz. And there he referred to the demise of the kingdom. And as the people looked around them, they couldn't but see that that was underway, that that had begun. So the people had seen that God had worked. The people had seen how God was aware of their idolatry. They knew that because Isaiah has told them that God knows. I want to say to you this morning, you have seen God work in your life. If you're saved here today at all, you have experienced it. Because the day you trusted in Christ, you experienced the work of God in your life. God has blessed you. You have seen that evidence of the grace of God. If it weren't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for the moving of God, for the the, the power of God in our lives, even yet, there would be none of us who would have an appetite to be here. We wouldn't want to be here if God hadn't worked in our lives. And because we know that the hand of God is at work, because we have experienced it in the past, because we have seen how God has moved, how God perhaps has met the need, does that not give us assurance? Does that not give us confidence that we know that the God who has met the need in the past is the God who changes not, and He will continue to meet the need in the future? Thomas Brooks wrote these words. He says, A Christian is never out of the reach of God's hand, and he's never out of the view of God's eye. What a promise. What a truth that is. I want you to be assured this morning as we think about these things that the Lord knows whatever it is you're going through right now. At this very moment in time, he knows all about it. He's always known. And he's still in control. The Lord knows about our problems, but then look with me as well. And just our second thought, the Lord cares for his people. Look at verse 29. Isaiah continues on. He set the scene here. He set the context. He's made the statement about the fact the Lord knows. And then he tells us what the Lord will do. He says, the Lord, he giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now, I want you to understand something at the, uh, just now at this point. What Isaiah is saying here is prophetic in nature. We have to understand the prophetic context of that. He's speaking here about future captivity. He's speaking about the hearts and attitudes of the people at that time. He's also counseling the people of his day to depend upon the Lord, who's the everlasting God. He's reminding them of that. So he's told them that the Lord knows all about them. He's told them the Lord knows about their circumstances, the things that they've gone through, the things that they're going through, the things that they will go through in the future, the Lord knows. And he already knows. So now he moves on to remind them of this truth which is interlinked with the omniscience of God. 
but it's the nature of God that he cares for his people. You see, the Lord knows and the Lord cares. It's one thing to think that the Lord knows, but it's another thing entirely to understand the fact that the Lord cares about what he knows. We can get ourselves so caught up with the first bit sometimes that we lose the practical application of it. What does it mean that the Lord knows about our problems? It means he's interested in us because he's a God who cares about his people. Warren Wearsby writes like this. He says, God knows how we feel and how we fear, and he's adequate to meet our every need. We can never obey God in our own strength, but we can always trust him to provide the strength that we need. And that's true. He will always provide what we need. So in our cares, what do we do with our cares? Well, the Word of God tells us, 1 Peter 5 and 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He cares. He's interested in us today. He's so interested in us that he loved us, he redeemed us, he keeps us. Someday we'll be glorified. Why? Because the Lord cares. Because He's faithful. And He's faithful to all of His promises. Isaiah here, as he instructs, he, he's telling the people, he's, he's making this declaration that the Lord is generous to us. He's generous to those of His people who wait upon Him. He meets our needs. If we're faint, He gives power. If we have no might, He increases strength. And all of these things are important for us to grasp and to understand that this is our God. He's my God today. And you know, sometimes people think that the man who stands behind the desk doesn't go through difficulties. Or he, he, he's, he's able to just brush them off to the side and forget about them and ignore them. And that's not true at all. Because the man who stands behind the desk faces the same problems, and the same, same challenges, and the same difficulties. And has to trust in the Lord in exactly the same way for strength when he's faint. Do you know, whenever you look at this, Whenever you think about this, there's a conditional aspect to this. There's a part for us as God's people to play, and it can be summed up very simply in this idea, we need to be faithful to God. We have to depend upon Him, but we have to be faithful to Him. He will meet our needs, but we have to be faithful to Him. In verse 31 it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Are we waiting upon the Lord in our difficulties? Are we looking to Him in our circumstances? Are we throwing it upon Him? The day that wait upon the Lord. We think about the word wait today. Think about what it means to wait. Sometimes we have to wait for other people. I don't like waiting for other people. I was going out this morning. I was coming and I had to wait on one of my sons to move his car. And I wasn't very patient when I was waiting on him to move his car because I was already running a minute or two late. But I had to wait. Me, me getting frustrated about it wasn't going to change the fact that he would only move his car when he was ready to move his car. Sometimes we wait on people because they're running late. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm not good at that. I can't just sit and wait. I have to find something else to do, whatever that might be, just to put the time in. But the word that's translated as wait here, it's a Hebrew word, it's the word kava. And it literally means to wait with expectation or to wait with hope. That's what the word means. They that wait with hope upon the Lord. They that wait with expectation towards the Lord shall renew their strength. Point is this. We know our weakness. We know our need. We know who can meet our need. We know who can give strength. Are we waiting upon Him with hope and with expectation that He will meet our need? The picture is of, I suppose, if we bring it into our context here, is of waiting patiently, praying, believing that God is going to bless in our circumstances. Believing that God will do that. It goes beyond even that. It goes beyond just simply praying. And prayer is so important. But there's actually the thought here of obedience as well. Of living in accord with how the Lord expects His people to live. How do we live? How do we live before others? How do we live our lives day by day? We're living our lives and people know that in all our circumstances good and bad, high and low, that we're a people who wait upon the Lord. People who live for the Lord. Because that will show in our lives. That will show in our obedience. That will show in our faithfulness. But not only is there this idea of how we live in accord with the Lord before others, but more important than that, it's before Him. It's how we live for Him, to glorify Him. It doesn't imply in any way that if we face and we have to go through trials, that the Lord's not interested in us. If we, if we don't do that, the Lord is always interested in us. It is for His will sometimes that we go through trials. It is in His will sometimes that we go through trials. And if it's His will for us to go through difficulties and trials that we don't understand, circumstances that we find hard to face, if we remember that He's a sovereign God, we're going through those things because He cares for us and He seeks for us to wait upon Him and He seeks to build us and to strengthen us and equip us through those circumstances. You think about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, and you read there about him in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. And Paul spoke about the, the thing that troubled him. He called it the thorn in the flesh. And he talked about how he asked the Lord three times to remove the thorn in the flesh. Three times. He came to God and he asked for it to be removed. What was the Lord's response when Paul asked him to remove that difficulty, that problem that he had? A challenge to his life, something perhaps that as far as Paul was concerned, humanly speaking, impacted upon how he lived his life, impacted upon his testimony, impacted upon his ministry. And he comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, will you remove it? And God says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on and here's what he says. 
He took pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. The biblical principle is this. Because sometimes the there's this idea that as Christians we'll never go through trouble. And, and everything will be rosy and wonderful in the garden. And, and all our needs will be met uh, all the time. And we'll have ample and we'll have supply at all times. That's not what the Bible teaches. The biblical principle is that the obedient Christian is not immune from the issues of life. Is not immune from the cares and concerns of the world. Is not immune to persecution. Is not immune to weakness. But the Bible makes it clear that the The trouble is the pattern of mankind. It's the pattern of humanity. But when those things come upon the Christian, whatever reason there is behind them, we have a hope. Because we have a God who cares for us. We have a God who will strengthen and uphold us. And if we actually take this through to its natural conclusion, how we trust in that God who cares about us and who will hold us. How we trust in him reveals the reality of our faith. That's the reality of this. How we trust in him reveals the depth of our faith. It doesn't mean in in circumstances that we face that our troubles will be removed. Sometimes people think that as well. It doesn't mean that our, our troubles will be taken away from us. It doesn't mean that we won't go through those trials. But what it does mean is that if we look to the everlasting God, and if we depend upon Him solely as we ought to do, that He's the one who will carry us through. And He's the one who will strengthen us and equip us for the journey. Why? Because He cares for us. And He wants us to grow to depend upon him. That's what he wants. In different circumstances that we face, he leads us all in different ways. Sometimes we'll go through a trial and we'll feel as if the Lord has just lifted us and carried us through it. Other times we'll go through a difficulty and it will feel like a hard battle. Challenges are there. Difficulties are there. The constant is the Lord. The constant is depending upon Him. The constant is that we lean upon Him, that we rely upon His strength. Why do we rely upon His strength? Because we don't have any. Because He's weak. We're weak. We're feeble. But God is not just mighty. He's almighty. That's our God. He's the everlasting God. He's the same God today as he was all those two and a half and thousand and more years ago when Isaiah wrote these verses. He's the same God. We just have to grow more and more trusting in him, depending upon him, waiting upon the Lord, the one who will renew our strength, the one who knows and the one who cares about his people. Amen. We're going to sing our closing hymn just now. It's 437 in the hymn book, and the words 
will be on the screen in just a moment. I'll just get the... It's like the King of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. And we will stand together uh, to sing after the introduction.